0: Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading, short and deep, A Year Off by H.P. Lovecraft, a poem probably first published in July of 1925, might have been written in July of 1925. We found it in uh, The Ancient Track, a complete collection of H.P. Lovecraft's poems, um, although that's not where I first heard of it. Uh, oh, no, it's where I first heard of it, but uh, you said you saw this somewhere else?
1: Well, I first found it in a paperback called The Fungi of, from Yugath and Other Poems. Ah. Uh, it's just a paperback collection. I have no idea if it's still in print. I, I doubt it. <laughs> um, but that was one of the places that that i got to read his stuff previously i had only i had read only his prose um, so i was happy to find that volume but it's many years ago paperbacks seem ephemeral
0: yeah i'd like to have it even though it is i, I don't really need it i'd like to have it anyways um, well i've got the storage somewhere jesse <laughs> one prominent uh, biographer uh, basically condemns his poetry as not worth reading and i'm not i'm not i don't understand that i think almost everything i've read of his poetry is just terrific and i don't understand why people don't uh, love it as much as i do um <laughs> but i hadn't heard of this one until you mentioned it um but i, I really like it will you read it for us?
1: Well, i'm glad you, what, what do you think of it what what is there about shall we I'll, I'll tell you what look, Let me read it for our listeners and to remind you and me about it. And then I'd like to know what it is that you do like about it. Okay. Mm -hmm. A year off. Had I a year to idle through with cash to waste and no restriction, I'd plan a program to outdo the wildest feats of travel fiction on steamship guides. I'd slake my thirst and railway maps would make me wiser. America considered first to please the local advertiser or England and the continent. I chart a course to shame the sages in each cathedral town intent to catch the color of the ages, Paris and Rome. I would not miss without the Rhine. I'd be no planner for one must make a jaunt like this, a grand tour in the ancient manner. But Europe is a trifle trite so I would spare no pains in learning how best to scan in casual flight the east where sheiks and sands are burning. I'd look up ferries on the Nile and bus fares for the trip to Mecca, have chemists test in proper style the drinking fountain of Rebecca. The route of every Tigris barge, I'd note and find how much they'd ask us. What good hotels in Baghdad charge? And yellow taxis. In Damascus, and I would surely have on hand the folders of that great excursion, the golden road to Samarkand through Baha'i bowers and gardens Persian beyond the Pullman rates I would get for a cow Chan and Yokohama arranging passage through Tibet to dally with the Dalai Lama. <laughs> In Tropic Isles I'd planned to stay till South Sea melodies would bore me and for the North Pole book a day where only Perry went before me. Thus might I scheme till in the end the year would slip away unheeded. My money safe with me to spend
0: and the wild outing scarcely needed. I think it's pretty obvious what I like about it. Um, it's, oh. uh, it's so funny. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> that's one of the many things I like about it. But um, yeah, I believe he's also right. Um, <laughs> he's right, uh, and he's he's funny, and that is. If that's not enough for you, I don't know what's wrong with anybody. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> well, what do you mean about right? Uh, well, the conclusion he, he makes is, right, if I did this planning, I, I'm going to take a year off and see the world. Yeah. I, money is no object, right? Uh-huh. In the planning, you would really not need to go. Because a true, you know, a true world traveler who's intent on making it the amazing trip uh, doesn't uh-huh. actually need to go. <laughs> now, I understand that's not 100% true. I, I, uh, <laughs> I think you should travel. Everyone should travel a bit. It, it broadens the mind. Uh, depletes the wallet, but it broadens the mind. Um, but uh, having been a traveler myself, I, I, I know exactly what he means. Um, the travel's technically not needed after a certain point. Uh, especially if money is an object and and i think that's his conclusion is that what you take out of this
1: you know i, I, I i'm uh, i find it uh, not so unitary in its message
0: oh no it's not just uh, one message but yes that that's the that's the grand takeaway for me
1: and I guess I'm not entirely sure that the grand takeaway is that uh, there's some. Let me try to build this up. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it starts with um, had I a year to idle through, which suggests that the speaker doesn't have a year to idle through. That's right. Idle means empty. Right. And, and having no employment, idle hands, emptiness. And um He doesn't have that. So, in fact, the very first line is about money, Mm -hmm. economic necessity with cash to waste and no restriction, which he clearly does not have. He's he's obviously constrained by uh, restricted by his economic state. Mm -hmm. So if he did have that, though, what would he do? He'd plan a program, and I think he means this in the sense of an organized set of things. He doesn't mean a television program uh, or a radio program, an organized set of things to outdo the wildest feats of travel fiction. So in that first stanza, the speaker is saying, if I didn't feel economic constraints, economic restrictions, what I would do would Spend my time planning a program and it's and, and interestingly, we think, you know, I, at least I believe, on the first reading, I'd plan a program to outdo the wildest feats of travel fiction means that the program would outdo the wildest feats of travel fiction. That is, if you actually did this, he'd plan this set of journeys, that the journeys would outdo the wildest feats of travel fiction. Um, It sounds as if what he means is fact, actual experience is more powerful than fiction. But having read the whole poem, we can read that that first stanza differently. I plan a program to outdo the wildest feats of travel fiction, meaning his planning of a program is what would outdo it. It's not the program that would outdo it. It's the planning that would outdo it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So in fact, one could look at the poem as based on the notion that, that fact is more powerful than fiction, which is a, a strange position for someone to take in the creation of a fiction. I mean, <laughs> it's H. P. Lovecraft after all, mm-hmm. a writer of fantasy, right? Um, but then on a second reading, we could say, no, no, it's the planning that outdoes it. Now, interestingly, the planning is, in a sense, factual. That is, you when you plan um, a, a trip someplace and you consult railway guides, you are still tying yourself to fact. And you're saying, oh, well, I can make this connection in uh, Innsbruck and make my way to Garmisch, or, oh, you know, go to Yokohama and then Kyochan or what, ha- what have you. Uh, so you, you're constrained by fact. And indeed, whether you travel first class or third um, has to do with the lack or not of restraints economical. So the planning itself, which would beat the wildest feats of travel fiction, could also be viewed as factual. But the thing is, this poem is the planning, Yep. because it takes us in a very clear way, first to the most recent places that an American would go to, to Europe. And then he goes to places that are older and more exotic. And then he goes to places that are hardly visited at all, like the North Pole. So he's working his way from the easily planned to the very difficult to be planned. This poem is his year off. It's not just a poem about a year off. And so what I'm seeing here is a very interesting internal contradiction. On the one hand, the poem seems to be saying thinking about travel is better than travel. And on the other hand, it seems to be saying that the travel is better than thinking about travel. <laughs> it seems to be saying both. And that's one of the reasons that I like this poem, because it actually manages to give you a feeling that two self-contradictory positions are simultaneously true.
0: Yep. And and he's right. You know, travel is amazing. It broadens the mind. It does deplete the wallet. But on the other hand, it, in reading about the places that you would like to go to, you actually have great experience in that land. It's not 100% the same as traveling there, but it is a kind of uh, satisfactory, right? Uh, that, and that's how he ends it. Thus might I scheme, till in the end the year would slip away unheeded. He didn't even notice that the year had gone, right? My money safe right. with me to spend, and the wild outing scarcely needed. It's not to say it isn't needed. It's like, ah, you know, whether I go or not is kind of less important now that I've made the plans. (laughs) I I 100% agree with this sentiment.
1: (laughs) I know that you you do in terms of that personally, Jesse, and that's that's dandy. So now we have one good sense of why you why you like this poem so much. One of the reasons I like it, I think this this fits with what you were just saying in your personal tastes. The word wild is in the first stanza Mm -hmm. I'd plan a program to outdo the wildest feats of travel fiction all right so now wild means untamed and indeed the places he goes get less and less tame in fact it it begins after we get through through America to please the local advertiser um, it, the first place we go is the grand tour in the ancient manner, capital G, capital T. And as you know, uh, in the, uh, starting in the end of the 18th century and for a period of a bit more than a century, it was thought appropriate for the moneyed classes in England, uh, whether they were uh, uh, upper bourgeois or were members of the peerage, Um, The aristocracy, it was it was thought appropriate when they finished their schooling to take the grand tour, which meant you would take anywhere from a year or two going to places like Venice and Paris and places that had a kind of cultural cachet so that then for the rest of your life, you would be able to say, oh, yes, I've seen the canals of Paris and the lights of I mean, the canals of Venice and the lights of Paris and so on. So the grand tour, interestingly, isn't a tour of discovery. It's a tour of confirmation.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I'm not actually going to a wild place at all. Right. I'm going to a tame place. I'm going where everyone has gone before me and it's just my place to go. So the wildest feats of travel fiction are, in some sense, as It's brought to us in the middle of the poem as not wild at all. And as we go further, what we realize is that this poem is an attempt to tame travel. He says, um, I would spare no pains in learning uh, how best to scan in casual flight the east where sheiks and sands are burning. So he doesn't actually want to get deeply into these things. He doesn't really want to expose himself to a to another culture. Um, He's like Jules Verne's heroes who go everywhere and try to turn it into Europe. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. There's nothing alien. If it is, the job is to is to tame it, to unwild it. So he wants a casual flight to the east. It's only going to seem to be less trite. That's the word he uses. But Europe is a trifle trite. So when he says I would spare no pains in learning, I don't know how self-aware the poet or the the poetic voice is here. But in fact, when he follows that immediately, I would spare no pains in learning how best to scan in casual flight. Mm. I'm wondering if maybe we're supposed to think, by golly. If you think learning is only doing things superficially, you're not learning at all. The guy who's saying this stuff is himself as foolish as the aristocrats who say, I'm going to become worldly by taking the grand tour. So I, I think it is less a critique of the value of travel than it is perhaps a critique of believing that you can approach travel in a way that just lets you dip into things. Because if you do approach travel as a way where you can just dip into things, well, then you might as well, as you were saying, Jesse, just read the guidebooks because yep.
0: you've dipped in. I, I should uh, admit that I myself did just sort of exactly what he did <laughs> in this planning. Um, I after high school, I said, you know, I, I need to go to Europe. I need to do the grand tour and i got a, a whole bunch of guidebooks you know and i planned it all out and said okay i'm going to this stay at this hotel this is cheap enough and and it was a slightly abbreviated grand tour because i didn't have the budget uh that's mentioned in this one the cash to waste and no restriction i didn't have that i had uh some f- funds but not enough for everything uh we went to venice uh, i convinced one of my friends to go with me um we went to uh, we went to Italy, but not Venice. We went to Rome and, uh, and the south of Italy and then into, into Greece and um, and France and, and England and, you know, saw, saw parts of Europe. Didn't get to the Rhine, as he says is necessary. Had I read this poem, I would have definitely gone there prior. <laughs> um, but I, I, I think this is one of the, the great notes throughout is that every stanza, except for the final one, really stacks up the books <laughs> i in my illustration i've made extensive use of the, that fact and it every every time he talks about going to this great place he has some way of bringing it back to the fact that actually he hasn't actually gone there he's just showing you the research that he's doing and that's more what it's about than in the actual journey of course um, as, as pointed out in the first stanza. So in the final line of the first stanza, the wildest feats of travel fiction, well, <laughs> is there such a genre? Uh, kind of, right? Um, oh, I used certainly. to read the yeah. old Panagonia Express um, uh, you know, by a travel writer, and it's, it's kind of like a novel, but it's more of a guy's experience traveling, right? I, I, I think it's a really fun genre to read, you know? Reading about people traveling is, is kind of fun. And then... In the next stanza, we get not only maps, which I sort of classify along with books as something cool to have on your bookshelf, you know, and to look at and gaze upon and read. Uh, But he also has the newspaper, the local advertiser. So um, this is where, you know, you see the trips to Europe, you know, and the prices. And it always comes back to the prices as well, every stanza. But the third stanza, he'd chart a course. Right to shame the sages, <laughs> he has to get the chart out. Right, the next stanza, he'd be no planner. Right, well, a planner is a, a kind of book that you have, and of course, this poem is a kind of plan. It's his. It's his chart. Um, and as you pointed out in the next stanza, how best to scan in casual flight? Well, scanning is what you do when you're you're looking through one of these big travel books. You're looking for Things to take note of so that you can go visit that place. The next stanza, he'd look up ferries on the Nile. Um, and bus fares, right? These are things you find in in books. Not um, just, you know, wandering the streets. You, you look up the prices. Next one, he'd note how much the route on the uh, Tigris barge would charge. Um, this brings it back to that uh, great story by lord dunsany called idle days on the on the yan which is sort of a a travel fiction in uh, another dimension or something and we get that uh, the sense of idle and and you know just floating down the Tigris on a barge that uh, that sounds great to me but i don't think they normally do that as a kind of journey although it's kind of like a cruise so maybe they do he'd note how much they'd ask the next stanza? I just, I just
1: want to insert, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, I, these days, given the war zone involved, I, I think you're quite right about there not being uh, tourist barges going down the Tigris. But I have to tell you that when I was uh, visiting family in Jamaica, mm-hmm. I mean Jamaica the country, not Jamaica the part of Queens, New York, mm-hmm. um, my wife and I took a, a day trip that included a a float trip uh, pulled by uh, a local um, on a a bamboo raft Mm -hmm. down one of the local rivers. So this this does get done. And, of course, in Venice, one overpays for a gondolier taking you on a ride that – well, I don't like the smell of Venice. But
0: anyway. uh, (laughs) The next time – Oh sorry. Yeah. No, the, in the I'm next just, you're right.
1: There, there's a reality to these things 100%. Uh, but the the reality is is superficial. It's like the guy who says, "Oh yeah, I went to Europe. I, I
0: saw 11 countries in 8 days." <laughs> yeah, you know I mean? oh, exactly. <laughs> in the next stanza, he says sure. yeah. he surely have on hand the folders of that great excursion, the Golden Road to Samarkand through Bahai Bowers and Gardens Persian. So he'd surely have on hand like during the trip the folders of the great excursion next stanza he he's he's very concerned about the Pullman rates right the the the, the price of the of the journey how much is it going to cost well you have to look these things up of course if you're planning properly and then the final uh, second to last stanza um it it seems like there isn't one but then it's right there and for the north pole book a day <laughs> Not just, like, uh, only only one day for the North Pole. Wow. No. It's also, like, a book a day, in a certain sense, right? Um, 365-day journey, uh, each one a book. And then the final stanza, it all comes back to the fact that he, he's planning it out in a, in a sense of money. Like, honestly, that's what prevents me from traveling. Had I unlimited funds... I would not merely plan such journeys if I were going there I would you know I would I would do it but I don't have such money and so the money is safe with me to spend and the wild out- outing is scarcely needed it the thing is is travel totally broadens the mind and and lovecraft although a very poor person in in financial in a financial s- Situation did fairly extensive travel uh, up the up to Montreal, down to uh, Florida. Right, he he traveled a fair amount, um, but his mind journeyed far farther in his stories and in his letters, his his uh, letters to everyone all over the world. To me, the takeaway image from this is is the planning it's the books it's the charts it's the it's the finding out how much it costs to take a barge down the nile or what what have you it's it's the pouring over the maps that is the it's the anticipation and the experience yes it's it's good too but it's it is he's right it's scarcely needed
1: well, I, I, I personally disagree, but I disagree in part because I, I don't mean I disagree with your analysis. I mean, I disagree mm-hmm. personally whether or not the travel is itself uh, w- worthwhile, but that may have to do in part with the way I travel. I've been very fortunate that most of the travel that I've taken has been much more immersive. Uh, so, for example, there was a period of about a decade when I wound up um, being asked to go to Italy for professional reasons. Mm-hmm. And so, um, when I would arrive, um, I would have people who wanted to spend time with me. Um, and before I began to pick up some Italian, it was fine because the people who had invited me spoke English and, you know, staying in someone's house for a week. Mm. And, you know, uh, so in my, ex- you know, when I, when I've lived abroad, I mean, I, I haven't actually taken the grand tour, but I've lived abroad for substantial periods of time, a year in Spain at one point, you know, uh, on more than one occasion. And I feel that I really have learned a lot, much beyond what's in the guidebooks and what's more important, you know. And and so, you know, I read this and I see it in a way um, as a deflation of tourism and a valorization of guidebooks, and yet a recognition that you can't have guidebooks if no one is willing to show that there is such a thing as superficial tourism. The Grand Tour is grand, and in in my imagination, the speaker is saying, I can extend it beyond that. But I'm also a little concerned that there may be things that are in this poem that the poet did not know mm-hmm. and uh, and we have to think about them a little up uh, for instance it's clear he's he's exploring the degree to which money matters yeah he says in, in a way he's saying even if i did have the money i wouldn't spend it that yep. way i wouldn't spend it on the tour i'd spend it in the planning and then i'd still have the money yep. yay yay because so he wants the money but there are other things that are less clear. For instance, when you were just speaking, Jesse, you, you spoke of the, a barge on the Nile. And the image of a barge on the Nile is is well known. One thinks about Cleopatra mm-hmm. seducing Julius Caesar in the barge on the Nile. Uh, that's what you said. Mm-hmm. Even though we had just read the poem mm-hmm. and it speaks of a barge on the Tigris. It does. That's right. Now, the idea is there. You fell back into it quite naturally because it's a cultural standard, but the poem does not. The poem avoids that obvious river barge image. In fact, when he talks about the East, he says, I would spare no pains in learning how best to scan in casual flight. He says, I'll work hard to not have to learn much. (laughs) scan in casual flight the east where sheiks and sands are burning yeah the sheiks are burning too uh, well and so you have to ask what are the sheiks burning about this is a 1925 poem the the sheik is a 1921 enormously famous silent film with rudolph valentino as this absolutely heroic, romantic figure who manages to seduce and save and ultimately win the undying love of a Western woman, right? Well, (laughs) H.P. Lovecraft, who lived with his mother his whole life, um, he wants to work hard to be able to learn only casually what it's like to be a sheik burning. Mm -hmm. There is uh, not only a valorization or a recognition at least of the power of money. And at the end he wants to keep it and he wants to have it so that he can just have it because he's not actually going to spend it even once he has it. Right. Yeah. There's the power of money, but it utterly depresses the power of other urges. Nowhere does he talk about having sexual encounters. Here. Nowhere does he talk about trying other foods. Nowhere does he talk about meeting other people. It is simply an object for contemplation. And if he... I'm not speaking about others who may enjoy perusing guidebooks, as many do. Um, if he thinks that the guidebooks are actually better than the travel, maybe it's because all of those other things that could come with travel remain unspoken.
0: mm mm-hmm. 100%. But
1: on the other hand... <laughs> There is always more to say.
0: And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for reading short and deep.